This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, this is a very special July 4th edition of thinking about food scientifically. July 4th is coming. Many studies have shown that hot dogs are supreme on July 4th. Instacart did an interesting survey where they found that most people were ordering hot dog buns. They weren't ordering hamburger buns during this week. Other surveys throughout the years have, have proven that to be true as well. We know the hot dog goes on the grill a little bit quicker and easier than the burger. But because July 4th is undoubtedly the time for hot dogs, sausages, brats, etc., I turn to someone who I think is quite knowledgeable in this area, somebody who actually lives in this area, the CEO of a company that I've founded consistently on this platform, Abel's and Island, still the best kosher sausage hot dog on the market, I think, hands down. Turn to my good friend, CEO, Mr. Seth Levitt. Seth, uh, thanks for agreeing to take out time of your busy schedule. I know how busy it is because I've got the office right next to you. So I know how it is like Grand Central Station sometimes. So I appreciate you taking some time out to talk about it. So firstly, thank you for having me, Rabbi. It's a pleasure to be on. It's also a pleasure to work with you. Proud to be an OU company. You know, we thank you for all that you do for us as well. Abels and Hyman, as you uh, may know, has been in business since 1954. We are approaching our 70th year. The company was founded by an uncle and a nephew, Oscar Abels and Leopold Hyman. The two had been working in a butcher store in Washington Heights back in the 1950s when Oscar, who was a partner in a butcher store in Washington Heights, decided to ask uh, his uh, then-partner if his nephew could join them as a partner. His partner at the time turned down, and uh, the two of them left, and they opened up their own uh, butcher store where they made provisions in the Bronx. I acquired the company in 1997 with a partner from the surviving owner, Lee, Lee Hyman. And by that time... Was was more than just a butcher shop at that time. At that time, it was really just a manufacturing facility. It was quite small. We operated out of a 2,500-square-foot facility in the Bronx. We quickly grew out of that facility, and within a few years, we opened up uh, the uh, operation where we're operating from today in uh, Hillside, New Jersey, and about a 18,500-square-foot modern facility uh, where we produce delicacies such as hot dogs, salamis, corned beef pastrami, sausages, kishka, anything that we would find in a deli is we manufacture over here. So since you, you guys took over, you obviously expanded what was on what what the original Abel's and Hyman were doing, right? You obviously right. You, you, you had to expand. The business was quite small when we bought it. And I'm saying the type of products. I'm talking about the, although they were all what we call meat-type provisions, but you definitely used I mean, I know even since I've been here in the 10 years that I've been with you, actually almost 11 now, I know that you've, you've introduced a lot of new different products. Those were the, the core of Abel's and Hyman originally. 
was what you would find in an old time standard deli, right? Correct. I mean, like any business that manufactures, uh, you go through, uh, periods where some items are more popular than others. And there's, uh, sometimes a culling of some of the slower moving items and an introduction of newer, better for you, healthier items. And over the years, we've seen a trend where uh, some of the older delicacies, such as liverwurst and even bologna for that matter, chopped liver, been discontinued because the clientele was basically aged out. You know, when, when I acquired the company almost uh, 26 years ago, a lot of our customers were in their 50s and 60s. Today, those same customers would be in their 70s and 80s. So we've basically um, turned over our client, our customer base, and we have a much younger audience these days. Uh, and they're looking for better few options, which is why we've introduced uncured products, products that are reduced in fat and sodium, but also uh, are tasty. And it, it's, it's interesting, though, you know, I started to program about hot dog being king. It's interesting how, despite, you know, people what might have said, you know, sort of dismissing the hot dog and you don't know, want to know what's in it. It's still right. I, I, I believe from what I see, because when I go back there and check out what's going on, it seems to still be our number one product, right? right. The number one product is still the dog. But I guess it's what's in there that's mm-hmm. become healthier. It might have the same shape, but the the quality of the meat and and like you say, the uncured aspect of it, that's that's what's changed. So something to a degree. I, I can't speak for other companies and processes that they use. I can only speak for what we do over here. And I know that we use uh, cuts of meat, lean cuts of meat, not necessarily cuts that you would buy and grill or cook at home because you hot dog, they're, they're, they're a few components. The meat component of a hot dog is to use very lean meat and to use uh, uh, fat meat. The lean meat, which is high in protein, gets uh, broken down or, or ground up. And that protein encapsulates the fat meat, but when mixed together, it's delicious, but not necessarily something you would buy for at a butcher store for home cooking. Uh, so basically, you have to know how to blend in the in the correct portion the lean and the fat in order to come out with the, that proper taste. Now, now, Seth, 26 years ago, I guess you were you were eager, you were young, but did you have a, a background in foods and and meat, or was it? Did you have to learn on once you took over the company? So certainly I had no background or experience in manufacturing. I uh, had worked for two kosher meat companies prior to acquiring A&H. My dad was also in, in the meat business. So growing up, I, 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 I was uh, somewhat familiar with it. Uh, in fact, my father uh, was able to get me my first job back in uh, 1990, or summer position selling chicken nuggets uh, that were uh, imported from Israel. So I worked I worked my way through college, and uh, I worked for food companies. So I, I was experienced in the food industry, but uh, I had no experience in, in manufacturing until uh, my partner and I acquired the company. And it was the original owner who taught me hands-on how to make hot dogs and salamis and all the kosher delicacies that we produce uh, to this day. I know that you've introduced... Like, as I said, over the years, things that the original owners wouldn't even dream of. And, and part of it, I think, is the, uh, I, I think the sort of like the crown jewel of, 
the hot dog, I guess, is those are the specialty sausages. No, I was, uh, no, no, no. The crown jewel of a hot dog is the hot dog. Is that dog? Yeah. That's the crown jewel. That's the crown jewel. Yeah. So is, and he's, before off pod, you told me that, that we, I asked you if you can get into the differences between the various types. I mean, I know there are people, I, I spent 20 years in Chicago over there. I kept on hearing about brats and, and worst. How strong are the differences between not worst, brat worst, and, and regular hot dogs. Okay, so it's really, uh, the meat block is basically the same. You may add less water into one product or another, but the process itself and the spicing is completely different uh, when making a hot dog and a sausage. Sausage is more, uh, a sim- more similar to a salami. It's a coarser grind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go through the same process as a hot dog, which is a a much finer uh, grind, or it actually gets emulsified uh, in the process. The uh, salamis and sausages just get ground up in a big mixer grinder. Mm-hmm. So, so the texture, the texture ends up different. So you know, obviously, since I work here, I, I notice a lot of what's going on. I've never really understood exactly. Maybe you can explain. I know other people have asked me about this question, but I couldn't answer them. The casings. Why, why are the casings so crucial? In the making yeah. of the hot dogs. The, the, the meat has to be extruded into uh, something in order to give it a shape. And the casing works as uh, the material to allow uh, the product to take the shape and form of a hot dog. Uh, the casings get peeled after they're cooked. Typically, they're cotton fibers, produced from cotton fibers, or collagen. In our case, we use the cellulose casing, which are produced, manufactured from cotton fibers. You know, one of the things I, I asked you about the other day was, I have to say that, uh, although you know, people say you, you, you work in a, in, in an A&H, you must be eating hot dogs all the time. I actually, as you know, one day, my, my big long day that I work here on the Arab is that's my one day that I treat myself to, to your sausages. And the other day I was telling you that I, I, I struggle with what, what's, what role is worth the sausage? I know this, you told me everybody's different, but, what do you find, do you, you know, when we, we were talking about, you know, the, the hot dog, there's softer rolls, of course, and there's, there's tougher and, 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 and more, I guess, rolls with that, which, which, which are firmer. What would you say? And obviously everybody can eat the dog the way they want. Do, do you see the roll as just a, like a big napkin to serve this, this meat in? Or do you, you do you view it as like, a, as a combo? Uh, that's really a great question. I'm sure there are people out there, connoisseurs, foodies, who believe the role is uh, equally as important as the hot dog. I'm not one of those uh, people, although I don't want a stale bun for my hot dog. I, I like a fresh, soft. Uh, I do have a preference. I, I prefer potato buns. Uh-huh. But uh, I think it's the hot dog. The hot dog is the... Uh, the bun is just the... The, the, the holder. The holder. The right. the holder. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I, it really depends. You know, I, I guess people who want to fill themselves up completely, feel they have a complete... Well, of course, you make hamotzi because of the bread and the bread that's around it. If it's just like a napkin and a holder, I guess you, you would make a shako. But you would say, I guess, you know, it's, it's really, it really depends. Maybe I'm... Nudging you here. It could be the soft rolls are going to lead you to eating more of the hot dogs. Otherwise, <laughs> if you have, if you have the big thick roll, you're not going to want to have another hot dog. But the soft roll is, it's, you know, it goes down so easy. Hey, get me another one. And of course that ends up with more hot dog sales for us. Right. You know, one of the things that we've talked about, Seth, is the expansion 
of hot dogs beyond the American perspective. You have a connection there to show we all do. How are you finding hot dogs being accepted there? Because are, are hot dogs finally making it to Eretz Yisrael? Yes, I believe that they are. I believe that there still needs to be an evolution, only because for many years, if not decades, Israelis really grown up on and uh, used uh, poultry hot dogs, which is not something you 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 do find kosher poultry hot dogs in America. There are manufacturers. We make them here too, of course. They make poultry yes. sausages, correct. But uh, my preference is uh, a beef hot dog. You know, I think that uh, in Israel as well, there are, I know one in particular, uh, hot dog uh, retail location. This serves the angle of the community. The angle of the community, yeah. beef hot dogs. And I think that the palate tastes in Israel are, are evolving. Okay. And uh, Probably that's one of the reasons why they were so used to the poultry hot dogs, because they really didn't have... And access, access to, beef. to beef. That's correct. Yeah. So and now beef is clearly uh, much more accessible in Israel, whether it's from Europe, whether it's from Israel itself, or whether it's from South America. Uh, meat, meat is uh, much more affordable and accessible in Israel these days than uh, it was 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago. And, and therefore, you think it's just a matter of time before the Anglo influence and, yes. and, that, and, and that'll happen where... There, there are some manufacturers of uh, provisions in Israel that produce the highest quality fermented uh, and aged and dried deli meats, you know, something that we don't really have in America. Uh, I think that the uh, Israeli uh, consumers' uh, tastes have uh, changed and are changing uh, every day. And I, I, I believe that there's a strong, huge market in Israel for a... Uh, a kosher beef hot dog. Hopefully, it'll be a and H and H will be at least the pace the setter right. for it. I know that that you were uh, had a uh, a great hand in developing the different flavors. There's teriyaki ginger. There's bourbon apple. These are things I'm sure the original Eagles and the Iman and their Eagles would probably be scratching their heads about. Probably, right? yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Right? There's uh, some of them I can't even pronounce, but still the 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 recipe for that, right. how you put that together. Is that like a, do you keep that like as a trade secret? Those are definitely trade secret secrets. There are three to five people that know, uh, the exact, the exact formulation of the spice blend. Yeah. For, uh, so it's the spice blend that makes a lot of oh, difference. Oh, without a doubt. Oh, it's the meat as well. You, you know, I, we're not trying to get you to reveal the secrets here. I just want to know how big of a secret it is. It's a big secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's not just the spice one. It's the process. It's the meat that you use. Uh, you know, you have to be consistent, just like with anything else that you manufacture. You look or, the, or any work you ever do, really. Right. You, you think about it. You look yeah. at a supplier that can provide you with the best ingredients, the most consistent ingredients, and you use them week in and week out. And you don't switch from this guy to that guy to the other guy just because the price is 10 cents a pound less. You you look, at least we look, to be consistent and to produce a high-quality product. Now, I know we, we, we you and I have spoken uh, internally about who makes the best, and quite often people compliment A&H. And I, I, I love that. I, I It means a lot to me. But I also feel it's not fair. I think that it's a, we make a very good product. We're consistent. 
that tastes the same today probably as it did 70 years ago. But other people make good products too. And uh, I don't think that you have to say anyone makes the best product or anyone makes the worst product. It's a product that you like. And fortunately, we make a product that a lot of people like, and that's what I'm proud of. Yeah, well, listen, I guess it's your typical modesty here, although, again, there have been, as you say, taste tests and kosher hot dogs, A&H, and others have consistently been on the top, especially, you know, we grow up as, as, as religious kids. We figure, yeah, what we're getting is... What do we know? We don't know. Right? Right? It's, it's the, the Gentile world probably really has a great, you know, we have to get the kosherized version right. of everything. Right. And yet when it comes to hot dogs, even non-Jewish publications and mm-hmm. uh, organizations do their taste testing. I know in Wrigley Field, for example, for years in Chicago, the hot dog of choice was a kosher one. Right. So uh, uh, it, it, even uh, this past week, there was an article that came out on uh, social media uh, a week uh, ago, uh, and I believe the site, and I don't know if I'm allowed to plug it here, it's called sure. The Kitchen. But sure. uh, it's, not, everybody. it's not spelled K-I-T-C-H-E-N. It's the K-I-T-C-H-N. They, they're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, they posted an article saying, you've been eating the wrong hot dogs your entire life, and it's not the brand that you thought it was. The author of the article went on to write that she grew up in a kosher household. This is a, a, a site with uh, well over $2 million. And, you know, she wrote, the author wrote that the uh, hot dogs that she felt were the best were ours, and not the other kosher brands that are out there, you know, not necessarily the black kosher brands, but even kosher brands. It, it means a lot to me. Hebrew, Hebrew national, let's just say. Let's yeah. just say it, right? The elephant and the elephant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But uh, it's it definitely it's nice to receive accolades uh, for... And, and, and I know it's tough. I know, obviously, as you say, to keep that quality going, especially, you know, I've mentioned here on the platform how the supply issues that have really racked the world yeah. um, since COVID and, and you know, with the war in the Ukraine. Uh, to be able to keep it, to keep that going. Mm-hmm. America is just like the original Abelis and Hyman is uh, America is a country that constantly brings in immigrants. And I think July 4th is a time that although many of those immigrants don't understand the significance of the revolution and what the Declaration of Independence was, they somehow understand when it comes to July 4th that we're celebrating the freedoms that we have in the United States. I agree with that. And, and therefore there's this sense that we have the day off and, and a national food, just like Turkey on Thanksgiving, uh, a national food bonds people together. And I, again, that's why I'm sort of, we sort of made this hot dog sausage show because that is in a way the national food for July 4th. I know that a couple of years ago, you told me about the great pride you had that you, you actually spent July 4th in Israel, right? Right. 2018. So I was, uh, in Israel for, uh, Pesach at my brother, uh, who lives in Efrat. And, uh, he had a friend in his house and you know, everyone, every time I go to Israel, I hear, why aren't you bringing hot dogs to Israel? You should bring hot dogs to Israel. In your luggage. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, someone mentioned to me that the U.S. Embassy has, which, a, which had just moved to Jerusalem. No, no, no. It was still in uh, Tel Aviv at the time. Tel Aviv. 2018. Yeah. Has a huge, uh, July 4th celebration and, in the case of 2018, it was 242nd anniversary of the founding of our country. Of July 4th, correct. Uh, and I reached out 
uh, and asked them if they would be interested in, uh, in some kosher hot dogs for their event. And they were very happy. Uh, uh, there was a, a sponsor we found. We, we uh, had a place in Israel where we were able to produce uh, a small batch, and it was well-received. It was really a wonderful experience. And I'm sure, again, you know, it's, it's interesting when you go to an embassy, you have, a, again, a combination of the actual Americans that are working there. Right. Plus you have the Israeli staff right. that are working there. So they were, they were being introduced to a real American, American barbecue, okay, right? Real American barbecue for July 4th. And, uh, together with Coca-Cola and all the other typical yeah. American products. Right. There was an American hot dog. Was American hot dog. Just happened to be kosher. Yes. Yes. And I think that's part of, uh, in a way what our history has been. I mean, you know, again, we could end here. Uh, again, you know, as well as I do being connected to the original Abel's and Hyman, we Jews have been at the forefront of creating what you call provisions for meat because in the 19th century, when sort of the deli business started, Jews could not afford this to slaughter kosher meat consistently. They needed to find ways to preserve the meat, to be able to, and they were the experts eventually and creating corned beef, pastrami, because here was meat that could be kept, salted, cured, salted and cured, preserved. Right? Correct. Because you know, you know, the, the non-Jewish fellow could just go out and you know kill the animal any way he wanted. Correct. When you had a, when slaughtering had to be done according to the laws of Shrita, and you could only do it at certain times, you needed to do something with that meat. Well, not just that; it's you know, uh, shifting. The uh, kosher, the kosher rate of animals is, is, is slow. It's very low. It's usually right. about thirty percent. So if you're right. slaughtering a hundred animals, you're getting right. thirty kosher. But then from the thirty kosher, you're only using a four quarter. So you're losing half of the thirty. So you, in essence, it's it's fifteen. And then you remove, you know, a, an animal is not just meat; they're bones. Sure, that's half the weight right there as well. So. So the Jews really were at the forefront of not only knowing how to process and make the best of what they were able to use and provide as kosher. This is where we have the salamis and bolognese and pastrami pastrami and corned beef. Um, And they were at the forefront of that. So, uh, again, hot dogs, we have to admit, are not really, we weren't the developers. But in that big awning that includes all the preserved type of meat, we Jews have been really at the forefront and the pace setters throughout the world. There are people who travel everywhere uh, to come to New York for a real kosher kosher deli sandwich. Sure. I remember when my um, my uncle and aunt came from Vancouver, BC, uh, which has a nice little Jewish neighborhood community, and they were so excited that their niece and wife lived in in New York and. When they came here, what they wanted us to do was to take them for real Manhattan, Lower East Side, kosher, kosher, corn deli, and a hot corned beef sandwich. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we went out there. And again, at that time, it wasn't so easy to find. And they couldn't stop talking. It, 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 I guess it reminds us really that the Jewish immigrant experience, which means America let us keep kosher. America allowed us to have kosher slaughters. America allowed us to eventually close our businesses on the Sabbath. So because of that, I guess when we're celebrating July 4th and we celebrate 
whether it's an A&A shopping or any of our competitors, any of the competitors. We should recognize, I think, that the meats that we're eating are uh, really a symbol of, of our freedom as well. Our freedom to be, have ingenuity, freedom to allow the entrepreneurial spirit uh, to grow. So freedom to keep kosher. <laughs> yes, which, which, you know, there's so much bad mouthing, uh, uh, of the United States and the government and what it should be. I think July 4th is a time when you bite into that dog or sausage or brat to sort of savor not only the great taste, to great also, unifier. Yeah. And to think about what it means, what this country has been, this, this Malchus Shulchesed. Seth, thanks so much. Have a great a 4th of July. I know we're going to be closed over here, but we're going to be thinking, and hopefully all of you will be thinking about the two hundred <laughs> Oh, you got it, right? Okay. You're waiting for the big 250. All right. will be in your Shalayim. Amen. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 